0: Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au
1: It's a great little video. We're here to celebrate our mums, we're here to worship God and Uh, that's a, that's a great thing. Every time we gather at church, we worship God. But on days like today, uh, there's special chances to also acknowledge our mums. I want to start today by talking about a guy in the Old Testament a guy by the name of Samuel. Samuel was a great figure in the Old Testament, was used by God to do significant things. Uh, as a child, he grew up in the temple. Um, and as an older man, as, a, as an adult, he came to know the Lord and love the Lord with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind and all of his strength. Not only that, but he was a man that God used to do incredible things. He's what we would call a hero of the faith. Samuel was a hero of the faith. Let me list some of his achievements this morning. He was a prophet. He spoke God's word to all of Israel. Part of that role was that God used him to anoint the kings of Israel, including Samuel and, uh, sorry, Saul and also King David. Not only was he a prophet, but he was also a shepherd. In his lifetime, God's people strayed far and wide from God. And it was Samuel that God used to bring God's people back to him. So he was a prophet, he was a shepherd, he was also a leader. He led God's people um, to an amazing victory over the Philistines. And in that battle, they reclaimed the Ark of the Covenant. Not only that, but he was also widely respected. And when he died in 1 Samuel 25, all of Israel mourned his death. And so he's what we would call a hero of the faith. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, why am I talking about Samuel today? Uh, this is Mother's Day. Did we get the wrong day? We're meant to be talking about mums and, and all of that stuff. Why would I talk about a guy like Samuel? Well, the reason I bring up Samuel to start is that today I want to talk about the hero behind the hero. I want to talk about a wonderful woman, uh, his mum, Hannah. And so I want you to help me name my sermon today by finishing this sentence. Behind every good man is... Behind every good man is a... great woman. A a great woman. That's not bad. I, I thought behind every good man was a woman rolling her eyes, but um, that, that'll do. That's probably better. We'll go with your one. Behind every good man is a great woman. Um, today we're going to learn about a wonderful woman. And we'll see in her story that Samuel, who did incredible things for God, only existed because God answered the prayer of Hannah and responded to her incredible faith. And so speaking of incredible mums, I'm going to invite up the front uh, Emma Endicott, and she's going to come and read Hannah's story from 1 Samuel chapter 1.
2: Hello. There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. Two wives, one was called Hannah, and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, "'How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine.' "'Not so, my lord,' Hannah replied. "'I am a woman who is deeply troubled. "'I have not been drinking wine or beer. "'I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. "'Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. "'I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief.' Eli answered, "'Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him.' She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Alcana, her husband, told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, Along with a three year old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there.
1: Thank you, Emma. Today, I want to share briefly three things that made Hannah a great example for women, for mothers, and for all of us throughout the ages. And so no matter who you are today, I think that there is something for you to take away from this message, whether you're male or female, uh, youth, young adult, senior, parent, grandparent, father, mother, husband, wife, God's word can encourage and challenge each of us today. Uh, So if you're not a mum, many of these truths today will apply. So please don't doze off during the sermon, but listen in and maybe God will speak to you about some stuff in your life as well. Just to prove that it's not just mums that can get something out of this passage, I want to start today by addressing husbands, uh, with a little bit of husband 101 training. This is by popular demand of the wives here at Follow Baptist Church, that wanted me to address a couple of things, but I think there's some stuff in here for the husbands. and so There is a husband you'll notice in this passage, I uh, think he's a bit of a doofus, and I think there's some mistakes he makes that we can learn from, and if we could avoid these things this year, we could end up having a better marriage. In fact, if we avoid these things, this could be the greatest gift we could give our wives this Mother's Day. And so are you ready, men? Yep. Men are slinking down in their chairs, <laughs> very, very unresponsive. Women are sitting up nice and straight. In fact, a couple tried to elbow your, your husband in the, in the ribs just then, but they, they sunk down their chairs, so you got him in the head. So that's okay. <laughs> uh, that's a bonus. Maybe they'll knock some sense into them today from the word. Uh, I want to give you three mistakes that he made that we can learn from as husbands. The first one is this that Elkanah was not a one woman man. There are four deadly words in verse two. He had two wives. Men, if you're married here today, you'll know one's enough, right? One wife is definitely enough for any man. In fact, last week, Dave spoke and he spoke on leadership in the church and he talked about the qualifications for elders and for deacons. And one of the qualifications that was consistent for both is that they're both to be husbands of one wife, And I think that's good advice for every man. Now, nobody in Australia has two wives. It's illegal here. That's a good thing. Um, And so we don't see people with multiple wives here in Australia. And so what is the relevance for us from a passage like this today? Well, I think the relevance is this, that God wants us to be one woman men, people that love one woman instead of, uh, in other words, outside of God himself. The number one target of our affection, of our um, compassion, of our commitment, of our unconditional love should be our wives. We are called to lay our lives down for our wives as Christ laid his life down for the church with radical self-sacrificial love. Now, can you imagine how different Australia would look today if every man lived this out? There would be no more domestic abuse. We wouldn't be talking about battered women. There'd be no more adultery and divorce would go out the window. There'd be no more broken homes. None of us men would be looking at other women, We wouldn't be flirting in the workplace. We wouldn't be um, fantasizing on the internet. We wouldn't be thinking I should have married someone else. But instead we would be looking at our wife and the target of our affection would be her. God first, her second. We would love and cherish our wives. And that's the first mistake Elkanah made. He wasn't a one woman man and I want to speak to the men today, we are called, as husbands, to be one woman men. The second thing uh, mistake he made is that he showed favoritism. We read in the passage that life was very hard for Hannah. Uh, she was Elkanah's first wife, and she was unable to have kids. His second wife is called Penina, and she was able to have kids. In fact, she'd had a few already. And we read in this story that Penina actually gives Hannah a really hard time about it. Now, In our day and age, some women have children and some women choose not to have children and there's no right or wrong. There's no judgment attached to either of those things. Of course, there are other women that can't have children for many different reasons. And once again, there's no judgment there. In fact, they have our sympathy and our prayer and our compassion in that situation. But in Hannah's day, it was very different. It was actually considered a disgrace for a married woman not to have children. And so culturally, Hannah already would have found herself on the outer. She was an outcast she was isolated, she was lonely. And then you add to that Penina giving her a hard time, and this must have been a really heartbreaking situation for Hannah. Now, you've got to ask the question, why would Penina do something so cruel? Well, I think this is a typical example of hurting people hurt people. I think Penina was hurting because it's clear that Elkanah's favourite was actually Hannah. Elkanah married Hannah first And there's every chance that he only married Penina because he needed Penina to provide him children. But Hannah was actually the love of his life. We see glimpses of this in verse four and five. It says, whenever the day came for sacrifice, Elkanah would give portions of meat to Penina and to their sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her alkana shows favoritism and it can cause great damage. Now, once again, you might be thinking, well, hang on a second, how is this relevant? We can only have one wife here in Australia, so we can't really show favoritism to someone over our wives. But the truth is, I think for us as men in marriage, we show favoritism in all sorts of different areas. Sometimes we favor work over our marriage. Sometimes we favor our hobbies over time with our family. Sometimes we favor one child over another. Other times we favor comfort over effort. And I think when we are people that favor the wrong things, it actually causes a lot of damage. And so I think today as husbands, we need to stop and reconsider our priorities, our affections, the way we spend our time to ensure that we're not favoring the wrong things. So his second mistake is that he showed favoritism. The third mistake he made, and I think this one's the most relatable for us men. Has your wife ever said to you, you're just not listening to what I say? (laughs) Maybe 10 times this week, I don't know, 15 times. Who knows? It happens a lot, doesn't it? And I think the third mistake is that Elkanah just didn't listen to his wife. Poor Hannah is really wanting to have a child, but year after year, nothing is happening. And I think from the passage, she's depressed. I mean, all the classic symptoms are there. She's downhearted. She's weeping a lot. She isn't really eating. All those signs point to someone who's in a deep depression. And then her husband comes along into that space, and I'm paraphrasing this morning, but he basically says this. He says, what's up, love? What's the problem? You've got me, baby. Aren't I better than 10 sons? Uh, Sometimes the silence in the passage is deafening. Uh, In this particular situation, there's no response from Hannah. It's simply just full stop. In fact, the very next words are, once they had finished eating and drinking, Hannah stood up. This is the ancient art of the silent treatment, which has been perfected over many years. But in all seriousness, listen up men. On Mother's Day, it's probably good to have a bit of a chat. When your wife is going through a difficult time, maybe just maybe, and I know this is hard to believe because we are amazing men here at Follow Baptist Church, right? So this is hard to believe, but maybe just maybe, when your wife is struggling, maybe you've got me just isn't quite enough. Maybe sometimes we actually need to listen More than that. To find out what's really going on for our wives, uh, how they're, how they're going in life as mums, uh, maybe sometimes just looking out for them, surprising them, maybe some flowers, a massage, but, but most of all really just listening. And and I'm preaching to myself today. I mean, I don't mean just listening like you hear her voice. Uh, you know, we hear our wives voice all the time, but I'm talking about really listening. And I'm preaching to myself because I know at times I'm there, but I'm not really there. My head is elsewhere and Kim will vouch for this this morning and I'm repenting uh, to God before you and to my wife today um, just to make sure that you know, I'm doing things okay. But we, we sometimes we don't listen and I think Elkanah struggled to listen to his wife. And so there's three mistakes that the man made that, that husbands today, and if you're dating today, those things are relevant as well, we can actually apply to our lives and we'll have a much healthier marriage and a much happier wife and therefore a much happier life this year. So let's now turn our attention to the mother in the story, or the, the, the wife. Hannah is an incredible woman. And let me highlight three things from her that make her a great role model to mums and to all of us. And the first one's really a no-brainer. And you may think, as I say, we've heard this all before. But the first thing I notice about Hannah is that Hannah is a woman of prayer. One thing I notice as I look through scripture is that it seems to me that when mums pray, God pays attention. And so this will be the main place I camp today because I think there's a whole heap that we can pull out of this passage about prayer that we can apply to our lives. Let me start by highlighting the parts of the passage that talk about her prayer. Verse 10, it says, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, whipping, weeping bitterly. Verse 12, where she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli the priest observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Now, Eli the priest at this point just assumes that she's drunk. And basically rebukes her and says, you shouldn't be drunk in here. What are you doing? Um, But Hannah actually defends that because it couldn't be further from the truth. She's not drunk. She's actually just praying fervently from her heart. In verse 16, she says, don't take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great grief and anguish. Now, there's one thing I notice about prayer. The thing I notice about prayer is this, that it has a natural enemy. And I think the natural enemy is worry. Got prayer And we've got worry and they seem to war against each other all the time. If worry wins, it'll take us down a certain path with certain results. But when prayer wins in our life, it tends to have very different results. Now, I don't like to generalize, but I've noticed that there are many mums particularly who have the worrying down pat when it comes to children. So much to worry about. I mean, us guys, um, you know, we're we're involved, but we're oblivious to a lot of stuff that happens. And and you're at home during the day and you've got this special connection and and we just sort of go, she'll be right, mate. But mums, you're intimately connected with the kids in a way that, that we can't really connect to. And so you tend to worry a lot about the kids. And I've got to say, worry in small doses can be okay. I think if we look at this passage, Hannah definitely worries. In verse seven, it says she wept and would not eat. In verse 10, It says, in bitterness of soul, she wept much. In verse 15, it says, she said, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. In verse 16, it said that she had great anguish and grief. And so worry in small doses uh, doesn't really cause much damage as long as we do what Hannah did and turn our worry into prayer. Now, this morning, I've got this bottle here. If I was to yell out to you, what does this bottle weigh? You might yell out a few things, maybe 100 grams, 200 grams, whatever. The point of the illustration is not what the bottle weighs. The point of the illustration is this, that if I hold this here for two minutes, it's gonna feel like it weighs a lot more than it does right now. It's the same bottle, it's the same weight, same amount of water, but it's gonna feel a lot heavier if I hold onto it for the next two minutes. Now if I stay here in this position for the next half an hour, it's gonna to start to hurt. If I'm still standing here in two days in this position holding this bottle, it's gonna cause a great deal of damage. You know, I think worry is a little bit like that. When we hold it briefly, it doesn't cause any damage. When we hold on to it long term, it can cause significant damage in our lives. Uh, worry is a very poor substitute for prayer. Uh, a few years ago I realized I identified something in my own life. What I identified is this that I am naturally a worrier. I, I tend to default to worry. I worry in my life about stuff. And I identified this in my life a number of years ago. And so I tried to do something about it. I prayed to God that He'd help me. And the one thing I did is that every time I started to worry, I would trap it straight away, I would stop, and the thing I was worrying about, I would immediately pray about. And what I noticed over time is that my default position changed. It changed from worry to my first response being prayer. And I noticed that as my prayer life increased, the worry in life seemed to decrease. And that's what prayer does. Prayer is incredibly powerful. And it, it helps us in life even before our circumstances change. I want you to notice this in the passage in verse 16, Hannah said, do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of great anguish and grief. Eli, the priest answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way, ate something and her face was no longer downcast. I want you to notice that in this story, at this particular point, nothing's changed. She's still barren. She's not pregnant. She's still getting a hard time. She's still upset. Nothing's changed. The only one thing that's changed is that she's prayed. And so nothing's changed, but at the same time, everything has changed in her disposition. That's the power of prayer. And I think for some of us today, what God is saying is that he just wants us to put the bottle down. That feels so good to put that down. That's what it's like when we pray, when we carry all these burdens and this stress. um, We're called to actually bring those things to God in prayer. the Bible says, cast our burdens upon God. Why? Because he can handle it and we can't. And when we try and carry it ourselves, it causes great damage. And so we've got to be people who pray. God doesn't want us to be warriors. He wants us to become prayer warriors. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says to his disciples, don't worry about life. What you eat, what you're going to wear, have a look at the flowers. I clothe them Have a look at the birds. I feed them. Don't I love you more than the birds and the flowers? Yes, I do. And so if I do that for them, won't I do the same for you? And then he finishes by saying, who by worrying can add a single hour to their life? How true is that? When we worry, we won't add one single hour to our life, but I think the truth is, there's a good chance we'll subtract a few. And so it's really important that we turn our worry into prayer. Philippians chapter four says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about what? anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. James 5.16 says, a prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Mums, Uh, All of us, the greatest gift you can give to others, the greatest gift you can give to your children is the gift of prayer. And so today I want us to learn a phrase together. Have you ever done a round in church? You remember that daggy old thing where one one group of people would sing something and the other group would sing another? We're not going to do that because that would cause me to sing. But what we're going to do is we're going to actually do a phrase together and we're going to divide down the middle. Steve and Ronald, you're either side, mate you're not brothers anymore. You're going that way. Excellent. Okay. So we're dividing down the middle and on this side, I want you to call out a phrase and on this side, I want you to call out a phrase and then we're going to put it into some sentences. All right. Can we do that? All right. This side, your phrase is this, worry less. Worry less. Pathetic. Okay. Your turn. Your turn um, to say a phrase. Your phrase is pray more. Can we do it? One, two, three. Pray more. Much better. This side was much better. I'll give you another chance. Ready? Your sign. Your, so, your turn. Pray more. Excellent. Very good. We're getting the hang of it. Let's put this into a sentence for the mums today. When your kids are sick, are you Pray more. when your kids are wandering off track, you Pray more. when you want to see your kids grow in their faith, are you are getting the hang of this. When you want to see, your, uh, when you want to see a miracle, you Pray more. when you think it's too late, what are, Pray more. What are we called to do? Absolutely. I think that's what's highlighted in this story and you did very, very well today. If you forget everything else this morning, you remember that phrase, worry less, pray more. I think it's highlighted in Hannah's life that she was a person who was learning to worry less and pray more. And the end result is this, that God took what seemed like a hopeless situation and he turned it completely on its head. Hannah is praying for her circumstances, but what I want you to now notice is that God does something so much bigger than just her circumstances. You see, when it comes to prayer, we tend to zoom in, don't we? We zoom right in and we pray about my life, my needs, my desires, my wants. But as we zoom in and pray, we have got to understand that God's got the view where he zooms out. And he understands that our prayer in the context of the big picture is one thing, but God answers according to his will. And as he answers our little prayers, it actually fits in with his bigger purpose for the world around us. So Hannah in this story is praying about her life and her circumstances. And I love that God answers it. I really do. I love the fact that there's not a single prayer that we will ever pray that God doesn't hear, that God doesn't listen to, that God doesn't answer. Now, sometimes the answer is yes. We love those ones, don't we? Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is wait. I love in Hannah's story that God says, yes. It reminds me of Psalm 37, 4. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Hannah is delighting in the Lord. That's her number one priority. And in this situation in her life, God answers her prayer and she becomes pregnant with a son. I want you to see that his answer will be a blessing in her life. But as we zoom out, we see it'll also be a blessing for all of God's people. This is why when we pray, we pray according to God's will, not our will, because God knows much better than what we do. We're zoomed in, he's zoomed out. You see, Hannah and her husband, Elkanah, lived at the end of the period that we know as the judges. Now, if you've never heard of this, uh, in your Bible, there's a book called Judges, and you can read it. Uh, I call it the book of the roundabout. Uh, Basically, God's people make the same mistakes over and over again. And so what happens is that they disobey God. They rebel against him. God allows them to be oppressed by the enemies. And then they end up repenting. And then uh, God raises up a judge. The judge delivers them. They're free. They rebel against God again. They're oppressed by their enemies. Uh, They repent. God raises up a judge. He sets them free. They do it again, over and over again. It's the book of the roundabout. And this cycle happens seven times. Eventually, the cycle takes its toll. The tribes of Israel uh, pretty much fall apart and were hanging on by a thread. There were enemies on every side threatening to finish them off. They're heading for extinction, which is staggering because only 200 years earlier, God had actually led them into the promised land in supernatural circumstances. But the following years had not been good. The Twelve tribes didn't stay united. There was no central government. And everyone, Judges 21-25 tells us, pretty much did what was right in their own eyes. Even the priesthood was completely corrupt and had turned from God. And so the people of God are heading for extinction. And they were impotent to change it, just as Hannah was impotent to conceive. Israel is in trouble. Hannah is in trouble. If Israel is to have a future and Hannah is to have a baby, God's going to have to do something because no one else can do anything about it. And as we follow the story, we'll see Israel eventually emerges out of their hopeless predicament. But it's only because God's acted. The power that will deliver Israel is first pictured in this story of Hannah. In fact, this is a a pre-empting of what's going to happen on a bigger scale. If you follow the story, God delivers Israel and it comes on the back of a man called Samuel who was supernaturally conceived by a barren woman called Hannah. And all of a sudden it hits you, doesn't it? We see how significant Hannah's little story is in the bigger picture and also we see how powerful prayer actually can be. Hannah wanted a baby. But God also wanted that baby for an even bigger purpose. God is sovereign and he is working all things together in our lives to shape human history. And mothers, as we see in the life of Hannah, can have a really significant role in that. God uses mums as well as dads to have a profound impact on their children to leave a legacy that will impact eternity. And that often happens on the back of consistent, persistent, faithful prayer. And so mothers today particularly if you're having a difficult day today, and you're worried about your kids, don't give up. Keep praying, because you just don't know what God's going to do in their lives and through that circumstance to bring himself glory. Hannah was a woman of prayer. Secondly, today, she was a woman of faith. It's one thing to be a person of prayer, but it needs to be joined with a faith that God can act. James chapter 1, verse 6 says, "'When you pray, you must believe and not doubt, "'because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea.'" blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. True faith is never based on circumstances. It's always based on God's character. Circumstances will always change. God never changes. We can have trust and confidence in God because he is 100% faithful. He's a hundred percent trustworthy. And so we can come to him in prayer knowing that he listens and can answer our prayers according to his will. And so Hannah not only prayed, but she also had faith that God could answer her prayer in what seemed like an impossible situation. You know, I think God laughs in the face of the impossible. In fact I don't think it's a word he even understands. Say the word impossible, what does that mean? Well, there's nothing impossible for our God. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing he can change. With him, all things are possible, right? And so God just laughs in the face of the impossible. And I just love that Hannah had this um, kind of faith in a God who can do the impossible. So much so that in verse 11, she makes an incredible vow to God. She says, Lord God Almighty, don't forget me. Don't forget your servant, but give me a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. In verse 26, after Samuel is born, she goes back to the priest, Eli, and she said, "'Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this very child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For the whole of his life, he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there.'" What incredible faith we see here. What was Hannah desperate for? What was she praying for? What does she want above everything else? She wanted a son. And God answers her prayer. And what does he do? What does she do? She says, he's not mine, he's yours. It was all about, not about Hannah, It's about bringing glory to God. And I love the incredible faith of this woman that pleasing God was her number one priority. I want to close with this thought this morning. The story started with Hannah being a woman of prayer and a woman of faith. The story finishes with her son becoming a man of prayer and a man of faith. Right there, I think, highlights the profound impact that mums can have on their children, in the life of their families, in the life of their kids. Mums, that's why we honour you today. That's why we celebrate on this day, for the example you set, for the prayers you make, for the faith you exercise, and for the people you are. Today, we are incredibly thankful for the mums that God has given us and for all the sacrifices you make for your children. I want to finish by saying one more thing about Hannah, and that is that Hannah's a woman of thankfulness. She's a woman of prayer, She's a woman of faith, but then when God answered the prayer, she didn't forget to thank him. So often we forget that that step, don't we? We pray, God answers, we go, that's awesome, but we forget to go back and thank God for what he's done. Hannah was a woman of incredible thankfulness. And her story finishes in the very next chapter, chapter 2, and she reads out this prayer to God. And as she reads this prayer, it's incredible. And it's a prayer of thankfulness, exalting him for who he is and for all that he's done. And So today, I'm going to finish this sermon a little bit different. Instead of closing in prayer, I'm going to ask another one of our young mums to come up. And she's going to read 1 Samuel chapter 2 as a way of closing this sermon. And as she does that, I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And as she reads out this prayer, I want you to listen to the words of Hannah's heart. To listen to what she says about God. And maybe stop and reflect in your own life today. To say thanks to God for the mum you have, for the mum you are, for the children you have, for the many blessings God has given us in our lives. And so I'm going to invite Emily Pressford now. And she's going to close by reading 1 Samuel chapter 2. And as she does that, I'll invite you to bow your heads.
0: My heart rejoices in the Lord. Oh, how the Lord has blessed me. Now I have an answer for my enemies as I delight in your deliverance no one is holy like the lord there is no one besides you there is no rock like our god stop acting so proud and haughty don't speak with su- with such arrogance the lord is a god who knows your deeds and he will judge you for what you have done those who were mighty are mighty no more and those who were weak are now strong those who were well-fed are now starving and those who were starving are now full the barren woman now has seven children but the woman with many children will have no more The Lord brings both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes one poor and another rich. He brings one down and lifts another up. He lifts the poor from the dust. Yes, from a pile of ashes. He treats them like princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's and he has set the world in order. He will protect his godly ones, but the wicked will perish in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be broken. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives mighty strength to his king. He increases the might of his anointed one. In his name, amen.